0: All right, I love you guys, man, <laughs> uh, well that's all the time we had, <clears throat> oh man, all right, this is not how I intended to start, but it's all coming together now, all right, I, I want to say seriously, <laughs> I wanted to say something serious. Um, On a serious note, I'm I'm listening and singing with you, and I have to say, there are a couple things that have happened this morning already that are just huge answers to prayer for me. One is, I've just been praying and praying that this would be a place where God is truly worshiped, and I feel like that's really happening, just sitting and listening to you guys sing, hearing the family of God sing this morning, and hearing what we're singing That God would break our hearts for what breaks his heart, which is a scary thing to pray. And it's a scary thing to sing, but we've just done that. And as we talked about last week, I've just been praying and praying that the Spirit of God would do something unique in this family. That he would change us to be more like him, that we would be people that live with hope, that the hope of our salvation and the joy of our salvation would be written across our faces and our hearts. We just prayed that for you this morning. Another really encouraging thing that happened to me this morning was that on the way to our prayer meeting, I passed a prayer meeting. <laughs> on my way to the back to pray with the prayer team, I passed a group of people praying. And I just thought, what an answer to prayer. What a cool thing to just see people come into our prayer church family and just seek the Lord because we recognize that we don't do any of this without him. We don't live with hope without the Spirit of God. We don't share that hope without the Spirit of God and that's why we left these on your seats this morning so that you would just be reminded there's great hope in Easter and you have an opportunity to share that with someone. I've got about 2,000 more of these if you'd like another one. You're welcome to give them out and invite people in Many of you know this, some of you don't, that our family is an In-N-Out family. It's in our budget. In-N-Out is in our budget. (laughs) I I didn't ask if that was okay to share. I just (laughs) embarrassed my wife. A once a week trip for the whole family to go to In-N-Out is in our budget. Usually on my day off, sometimes on a Sunday night if we're not meeting with our life group. You'll find us there because because it's great there. It's Easy, it's relatively inexpensive for a family of five. It's simple, there just aren't that many choices at In-N-Out. But I have recognized recently how complicated our family's order is at In-N-Out, which seems impossible. I'm just going to give it to you real quick. Two double-doubles, one uh, double-double with cheese and spread only, a cheeseburger with no tomato and no onion, one cheeseburger with everything, extra ketchup, side of peppers, side of spread, five drinks. Let me see. Two Cokes, one with no ice, a Diet Coke, a Sprite and a root beer. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Five different people, five very unique preferences in a restaurant that's more than happy to cater to our every whim. Every week we live the American dream. We get whatever we want. And we all get what we want individually. And it's not just us, and it's not just In-N-Out. If you think about it, there are many restaurants that are predicated on this idea of giving you exactly what you want. The thinking way back, as early as I can think of, like Sizzler is a great example, Subway, a more recent example, Chipotle. The whole structure of it is based on you can get exactly what you want and nothing you don't want. It's actually our whole culture is built this way. You think about buying a car. You don't just pick out a car, you pick out a car and all of the myriad of options and colors. It's not just buying cars, it's clothes and every conceivable shape and pattern and color. Maybe the best example of all is mattresses. (laughs) You can get a mattress in any firmness or softness that you like, and if you can't decide what firmness or softness you'd like, you can get one that you can adjust every day to be firmer or softer. If you're married, you can get one that adjusts independently depending on which side you're sleeping on. So I can have a firm mattress and my wife can have a soft mattress. How crazy is that? Because we live in a culture... (laughs) I guess that's exciting. I don't have one of those. I guess I'm missing out. But we live in this culture where we can choose exactly what we want and we can eliminate everything that we don't like. And the more you look for that, the more you recognize that, about that is the American dream. It's getting everything I want and nothing that I don't. But not everything works that way. And our expectation now has become, I'm gonna get what I want and i to avoid what I don't want. To the point that we avoid anything that requires us to change. We avoid anything that requires us to wait because I can get movies and TV on demand. If I need to go to the other room, I can pause it and watch it again later. I could just record it for the most optimal viewing time. I don't change. I don't wait. That's not what we do, right? But not everything works that way. Jesus doesn't work that way. The Bible is not Subway. You don't walk through the Bible and just pick out the parts you want and build your own Jesus or your own Savior, You can't just come to the Bible and say, I'll have grace, and I'll have love, I'll take forgiveness, definitely salvation, I'd like Christmas. What about the Great Commission? Would you like that? What is that? Explain that again? That's a command to follow Jesus, help others do the same? No, thanks. Sounds a little hard to stomach. I'll take, I'll take community service. I don't really like it, but I know it's good for me, so I'll have a little bit of that. Great Commission sounds hard. Let's not do that. We don't get to pick and choose Jesus and leave out the parts that make us uncomfortable. We have to come to Jesus on his terms. We have to. This also means, by the way, that as followers of Jesus, we don't have to apologize for his terms. I don't know if you recognize that. We do that with food all the time. Sorry, this has olives. I know you don't like that. You don't have to do that with Jesus. Jesus. Why? Because we know it's right. Because we know it's exactly how it's meant to be. Because salvation, we can say with confidence, is best. The way that God has prescribed it through Jesus. We don't have to apologize that Jesus is the only way. We just have to praise God that he made a way. He made a way. Isn't that enough for us? Today, we celebrate Palm Sunday. Many of you know that and you know what that is and you've already prepared yourself in your mind for the Palm Sunday message. (laughs) You're waiting for it. Some of you are wondering what Palm Sunday even means. Palm Sunday, we celebrate the Sunday before Easter and we read the account of Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem At the beginning of the Easter week, a week that begins with Jesus being praised, with Jesus being hailed as the king, and a week that ends with Jesus hanging on a cross. Well, that doesn't really end that way, but we'll talk about that a little bit more next week, right? But that's the scope of what happens over the course of those few days. On Palm Sunday, Jesus was celebrated. Everyone was excited and praising God for him. Not for who he was, but for who he was expected to be. Who they thought he was. They worshiped the Jesus they wanted. Not the Jesus that was offered to them. And for many, Jesus was a disappointment because he didn't do what they expected him to do. That's not the Jesus I thought I was getting. They wanted the restoration of Israel. They wanted the overthrow of Rome. Here's the thing. What Jesus offered them was so much better than that. Jesus didn't come to overthrow the Roman Empire. He came to overthrow Satan. Jesus didn't come to conquer Caesar. Jesus came to conquer sin and death and hell forever and to invite people into his holy presence for eternity. That's way better. But nobody could have dreamed of something that marvelous. Nobody would have asked for that kind of Jesus because that Jesus wasn't on the menu. No one had even thought of that, except God. That's how God works. He's just better. He's better than we think about. He's better than we can comprehend. He's better than we can expect. He's better than we do expect because Jesus didn't come to meet your expectations. That's not why he came. He didn't come to meet my expectations either. He came to exceed our expectations. That's who Jesus was. We're going to look at that story this morning, the Palm Sunday story, and we're going to talk a little bit about expectations. What was expected of Jesus, what we expect of Jesus, and what Jesus came to do. Before we do that, would you pray with me this morning? Father, this morning we've already sung of your goodness. We've already cried out, Hosanna. We've cried, save us. Save us, Lord, and make us like you. And we apologize that we like to dictate the terms of that to you. Save us the way we want to be saved. Don't ask us to do anything hard. Don't ask us to do anything we don't want to do. Lord, would you help us this morning? Help us to see you. Help us to see how much you love us. Help us to see what it means to surrender our life to you. Help us to see that you exceed all expectations. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've brought some for you, and you're welcome to use one. They're on the seats around you. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, you're welcome to take that. I was informed this morning we're starting to run low again, and I always love hearing that. You are welcome to take one home if you'd like a copy of that. We'd love for you to have it. We're going to look this morning at Jesus' entry into Jerusalem through Luke's account, the Gospel of Luke. And I want you to consider this morning how Jesus responds, because there are three things in his response that I believe show us the heart of God. I believe the heart of God is revealed in Luke's account of the triumphal entry, both for those who believe that Jesus is who he said he was and for those that are unsure or skeptical or even opposed. I think no matter where you are this morning, this reveals the heart of God. We're going to read the whole account here, starting in verse 28 of chapter 19. So read with me. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them and as they were untying the colt its owners said to them why are you untying the colt and they said the lord has need of it and they brought it to jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt they set jesus on it and as he rode along they spread their cloaks on the road as he was drawing near already on the way down the mount of olives the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise god with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen And alongside this joy and this praise and this celebration, we see grief and we see sorrow on the part of Jesus. Why is that? I think the heart of Jesus and the grief of Jesus in this moment cries out, if only you knew me. It's the first thing I think we see here. Revealed the heart of God. If only you knew me. The passage starts out by saying, when he had said these things, points us back to whatever he had just said. If you look back, you see the parable of the 10 minus right before this. Now, we're not going to read the whole parable this morning. We don't have time for that. But Jesus tells this parable because as he's nearing Jerusalem, people who believe he's the Messiah believe that the kingdom of God is coming now. They believe the kingdom of God is going to happen right now. It's coming immediately. And he tells this parable to say, it's not happening now. You're going to have to wait And by the way, the ruler in the story is rejected in this story. He's giving them some idea of what's about to happen. Jesus is telling him, some of you believe that I'm the Messiah. Some of you reject me as the Messiah. Either way, it's not going to happen the way you expect it to. No matter who you are, this is not going to go the way you think it's going to go. And then Luke spends what has always struck me as an unusual amount of time talking about a colt. There's a lot of verses dedicated to this donkey, I guess, horse, I don't know. I'm not a horse person. Someone in here knows, and they'll correct me afterward. But he says, go into the city, and you're going to find this colt, and you're going to untie it and bring it to me. And somebody's going to say, if they say, why are you doing that? That's my donkey, my colt. You say, the Lord needs it. And then not surprisingly, they go into the city, they find it just like Jesus said they would, because Jesus does that. They untie it. The owner says, "Why are you taking my colt?" And they say, "The Lord needs it." And they're like, "Okay." And they bring in the colt. Now, I don't it seems strange to spend this much time on it, and their reaction seems strange in the moment. Here's the contrast that we see. There's the owner of the colt, and there's the Lord. There's the owner of the cult, and there's the owner of everything we possess. Those are the two things that are being played against each other. So he says, go to the owner and say, the real owner needs it. And that seems to be sufficient. The lordship of Jesus Christ displayed. Now, why talk about this cult so much? Because it's a fulfillment of scripture, because it's a fulfillment of prophecy, Zechariah 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And as Jesus approaches the city on a colt, just like Zechariah said, the people do rejoice greatly, just like Zachariah said his followers rejoice and they praise God it says for everything that they had seen for everything that they had seen Jesus do and for everything that they believed he was going to do and the Pharisees the religious rulers of the day say hold on a minute Jesus you got to tell them to stop saying these things about you do you hear what they're saying about you and Jesus says what if they don't the rocks will If they don't praise me, creation itself will praise me. Now that is a very bold statement to make unless you're the Son of God. Don't you think? But Jesus is. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah who fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah 9. Jesus is the one whom creation itself acknowledges as Lord. And Jesus weeps over Jerusalem because he is the Savior of the world. Because he is the one that the angels sang these same words about, glory to God in the highest, when he was born. Did you catch that? Same thing and he weeps over Jerusalem because his heart is breaking for his people, saying, if only you knew me as that Jesus, the one who's come to save, but you don't know me, and now it's too late, and judgment will come because, as he says at the end, you did not know the time of your visitation. You didn't know. You didn't know me. Now, Jeremiah 9 which I found on accident looking for Zechariah 9, <laughs> is surprisingly appropriate to this. <laughs> Jeremiah nine twenty three says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love justice, and righteousness on the earth. If you're going to brag about anything, brag that you know me. And Jesus says, if only you knew me. If only you knew me. And it grieves him. And then he says, if only you would accept me on my terms and not yours. Where does he say that? I'm looking at Jesus' response as he comes into Jerusalem. What Luke describes, I think, as genuine heartbreak. Even in the midst of all this celebration going on around him. And then I look at verse 42, and he says, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Do you understand that? I've had to read that a lot. Why does he say that? Would you, if only you knew the things that make for Peace. To those who reject him as Messiah, I can understand him saying, If only you would recognize me as the Messiah. If only you knew me. He's kind of said that. To those who do recognize him as the Messiah, especially those that are really close to him, I can understand him saying, If only you knew what that actually meant. If only you knew. I haven't come to do what you think I've come to do. But to say, If only you knew the things that make for peace, what does that mean? Actually, think to understand this, we need to flip back a few pages. You can just listen, or you can flip back with me to Luke chapter 14, verse 31. This comes in the midst of some of Jesus' hardest teaching, and I say that because it starts like this. Listen, this isn't the verse that I want to read to you. This is not verse 31, but this is how the the message starts. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he can't be my disciple. That's how he started. What? And then he says this, verse 31, Luke chapter 14. What king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 men? sorry, with 10,000, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other's yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. It's actually the same phrase from Luke chapter 19, terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, if only you would accept my terms of peace. If only you would surrender to me before you are destroyed. Do you see the picture? He's saying, You don't get to make the rules. You don't get to make demands. You're overwhelmed by me. You are undone by me. You don't stand a chance. This is about complete surrender to Jesus. Now, this doesn't seem like a very pleasant picture doesn't seem like a very pretty analogy, this surrender before you're destroyed analogy. And we read this and we think, wait a minute, I thought God was love. This is consistent with our understanding of the gospel. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All deserve death because the wages of sin is death. We know that to be true from scripture. Everyone is under judgment. Everyone's under the wrath of God. The overwhelming army is on its way. And you don't stand a chance. That's the gospel. And Jesus says, if you want to live, you don't get to be king anymore. That's how this works. The terms of peace are complete surrender to me as your new king. That's the gospel. It doesn't sound great at first, does it? You don't get to make all the choices. You don't get to make all the demands. Not everything is gonna happen the way you draw it up. Jesus says, if only you knew me. I'm the real king. I'm the rightful king. If only you understood my terms of peace. Complete surrender to me. Those are the terms. And that would be really unsettling or really terrifying if it weren't for the third thing, which is, if only you knew how desperately I love you. If only you knew how much it pains me and how much it grieves me to watch you reject me. That's what the tears are about. The tears aren't that Jesus isn't getting his way The tears are that Jesus loves them so much and yet they refuse to acknowledge him as king. Just a page back, Luke chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not Willing. The heart cry of Jesus, the heart cry of God, the heart cry of the gospel is, I love you. I love you desperately. You don't understand how much I love you. But what I'm about to do will convince some of you, a few of you, that I mean what I say when I say that I love you. What I'm about to do will pay for your rejection, we'll pay, will pay for your rebellion against the king. What I'm about to do will free you from death. What I'm about to do will give you the opportunity to be adopted into my family as an heir of the true king. Not a prisoner, but a son or a daughter of the king with full rights of sonship. How amazing is that? As we get ready for Easter, a week from today, I think it would be right for us to think about these three questions. We're going to give you some time to do that now, and I've asked the worship team if they would come up and just give us some time to reflect together, kind of just hit pause in the middle of our service. And as they come forward, I want to give you a couple things to think about. Do you know him? That's the first thing, right? If only you knew me. Do you know him? Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was? And Maybe you need to spend some time with that question this morning. And I guess the way I'd ask that is, where is your confidence? Is it in your strength or in your wisdom or in your money or in your youth, your independence, or is it just that you know Jesus? if I could boast in one thing, it's that I know Jesus. So do you know him? Do you accept his terms of peace? Do you accept his terms? Not can you make up some terms that are better? Will you accept him on his terms? And for those of you who have never surrendered your life to Jesus, that means that you confess that he's Lord and that you believe that God raised him from the dead. That means that you believe that he is king and that on the cross, he paid the price for your rebellion. That's what that means. And that means that through his resurrection, you believe he's conquered death and hell for you. For those of you who are already adopted into the family of God, you have already surrendered to the king. Here's the question for you. Have you completely surrendered? Are you still kind of holding on to some things? You're like, I'll be king of these things. you be king of the big thing. I want to go to heaven. But I'm going to be king over these things. Or I'm just going to complain about the way you're being king. Because it's not going the way I expect it to. Is that where you are? Complete surrender. Those are the terms. Complete surrender. To a king who loves you. And that's the last thing. Do you know, do you realize how desperately he loves you? Do you understand that through God, um, through Jesus, God did the unimaginable for you? You couldn't have even dreamed it up because who would have? That the God of the universe would lay his life down so that he could be with you? That's amazing. So we're going to give you some time this morning, some time to consider, maybe some of you are feeling deep conviction right now, maybe some of you for the first time in your life are considering surrendering your life to God. Maybe some of you just want to stand up and sing and praise God for how great he is and all of those things are good and right and appropriate to do right now. We're going to have a little time to do that together. So take some time to sing or pray or write something down or write on your connection card, today's the day I want to be a follower of Christ. We want to offer you this time now to spend with the Lord, so use it however he would lead you and then we'll come back. We're going to have an opportunity to sing together again to close the service. We wanted to give an opportunity for us to just reflect a little and pray a little and sing a little together about these things because it's on my heart that we would be ready Easter, that we would be ready a week from today to come into this place and praise God together, because we know him, and because we have accepted his terms of peace, and because we know how much he loves us, because at no other time are we reminded in so many ways, in so many places, of the story of the gospel, the story of who God is and what he's done. So I want you to have time this morning as individuals to think about that. But I also want to give you a minute to think about what that means for us. What does that mean for us? You don't need to turn there, but Paul shows what I think expresses... The heart of God for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which says this. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, restoring the world to himself. That's what that means. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. He gave it to us. This message of restoration, the gospel, God gave to us, his followers. So he says this, verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The heart of God has been expressed through Jesus That's how he showed us how much he loved us and what he thought of us. That's the value that he placed on your life. He said, you're worth my son, my only son whom I love. That's the value I place on you. And Jesus came not to condemn, not to judge, but to redeem, to buy us back out of our rebellion, to buy us back out of our rejection of God and into the loving arms of God. If you think of the story of the prodigal son the son comes home and the father runs to him and wraps his arms around him. That's the picture Jesus gave of God's love for us. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, you can. You can know him and you can belong to him and you can live a life that's filled with hope because of him. The hope of rescue from judgment and destruction And the hope of an eternity in the family of God. Not as a prisoner of the king, but as a child of the king. A full heir. How great is that? And we, as the church, speak for Christ when we plead, Paul says, come back to God. You can be made right with God through Christ. That's the gospel. And we speak for God when we say that to you today. We beg you to be reconciled to God, to be restored to him by accepting his terms of peace. His terms of peace, by the way, are wildly unfair in your favor. And if you'd like to do that this morning, we would love to ask you to just talk with us. I'm gonna ask the overseers if they would come up after the service. I'm gonna ask the prayer team if they would come up after the service to pray with you or talk with you or answer your questions. But please don't leave this morning. If God is tugging at your heart and saying, this is something you need to do, you need to surrender to me, I need to be your king, don't leave without having that conversation with us, please. Here's what I'd say For those of you who are in the room this morning who are followers of Jesus, who have been asking, I hope for the last week that the Spirit of God would allow you to live with hope and share that hope with others, Paul says, you are the ambassadors of the message of hope. That's your job, is to tell people this message of restoration, of restored relationship with God. This message of hope is yours to tell. And in our selfishness and in our pride and in our fear, we want God to be what we want and we, don't, we want him not to ask us to do anything we don't want to do. That's just true. And we're like, that's hard. Because that might be embarrassing or they might say no. Somebody told me this statistic just this morning, actually. 82% of people who when asked if you would go to church if you were invited would say Yes. And roughly 2% of the church invite people. And I would just say, we can do better than that. We can do better than 2%. Don't you think? The truth is, we want Jesus and God and the gospel to be what we want. We want it to be everything we expect. But the Jesus we get, the real Jesus, is just way better than that. Because that's how God works. He's just better. And Jesus didn't come to meet your expectations. He came and exceeded them. And the heart of God breaks for those that don't know him. And the heart of God breaks for those who won't accept his terms of peace. And the heart of God breaks because there are people that don't know how desperately he loves them. And Paul says, we get to tell them. We get to tell them. So God, break our heart for what breaks yours, people that don't know you, people that don't accept you, and people that don't know how much you love them. We get to tell them. So I'm just going to say, tell them. Just tell them. And invite them to be with us next week. And we will tell them the story of how much God loves them. And we will praise God together. And if you will continue to pray with us over this next week, I am so excited to walk into this place next Sunday and praise God with you and rejoice in our salvation together and be a place of hope in a world that has lost hope. And we have it. So let's tell them. John, if you and your team would come up, let's praise God together. Would you stand? I'm going to invite the men forward if they would take our offering this morning and collect your connection cards. If you're a guest with us, by the way, there's no expectation for you to give this morning, but we would love to know that you were here and answer any questions you have. Let's praise God together.